Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to Wholehearted Eating. So we are continuing our discussion from two weeks ago when we were talking about restriction and in particular that a lot of the time people may not think that they're being restrictive but that a lot of normal or you know healthy quote unquote eating behaviors are very restrictive which causes a lot of people to undereat, undernourish and then that the reason we wanted to get into this is that those in particular can contribute to a worsening of their health symptoms and their relationship with food. And we also knew when we were doing that episode that there's a big but, like, but what about me for a lot of people out there? Because we tend to work with a lot of people that do have symptoms that are going on all the time, whether it's, you know, GI stuff, it's hormonal stuff, we've got history of disordered eating. It's like, what am I supposed to do if I have a chronic health condition, right? So on today's episode, we are gonna go more into that question and talk about, well, what are we supposed to do if we have a chronic health condition and we have all of these symptoms and we have a history of, you know, dieting and all this stuff and how do I manage this when I also have a rocky relationship with food? Because how do we figure out if something that is inherently restrictive might be appropriate, right? And we're going to dive deep into that with a massive disclaimer at the beginning from Christina. <laughs> oh, man, I'm doing the disclaimer. Well, I know Dana will chime in if I forget something, but I think one of the big things that we we want to make sure that everyone knows is that we, one, know that this is heavily nuanced and it's complicated and there's a lot of layers tacked into a conversation about chronic health symptoms and chronic health, um, some, like a chronic health management. And so one of the things that we think is really important is one, we do acknowledge that food can be really supportive for people with autoimmune diseases and chronic health conditions. We're integratively trained, but that doesn't mean that we think food is like the be it and end all for everything. Um, but we do believe that food can be supportive of that and especially supportive for, you know, pretty severe autoimmune diseases too. Like there's a lot of people out there who have to kind of manage it in this way. Um, but one of the things that I think that's the disclaimer, but I know there's more to the disclaimer than that. Um, what am I missing? There's more. If you have a heavy history oh of God, dieting yeah. or chronic restriction, eating <laughs> disorders, disordered eating, right? Yeah. And this is the nuance that we're going to get into, right? Yes. Is unless you have a diagnosed anaphylactic allergy or celiac disease, those are pretty much the only reasons that we always will recommend you need to take that out as soon as possible, right? Yeah, the long term. With, yeah. Right, long term. With everything else, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of gray area, right? And what we're going to get into is like, even though there is a lot of research behind certain health conditions being correlated with, you know, symptoms being better with not eating certain foods or symptoms worsening with certain foods, there can be evidence-based 
nutrition recommendations there. And that still might not be appropriate for your life, depending on where you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another layer to add into that disclaimer is which came first, you know, like the chicken or the egg and how much does the dietary recommendations for chronic health management feed into this disordered eating pattern that you probably had long before you ever got this diagnosis? And how much did that pattern feed into the development (laughs) of your chronic health symptoms or management. And so I think that's another layer that's really important to acknowledge that there is this kind of chicken egg situation. And Dana and I strongly believe in an and both. We don't believe the way that a lot of other non-diet, anti-diet nutritionists and dietitians believe that, that, um, that any kind of food management, um, is is inherently like inappropriate or always inappropriate we don't believe that we kind of believe an and both approach where yeah it might not be safe for you right now because we need to work on your relationship with food and disordered eating patterns but that doesn't mean that in a long-term recovery type of environment or even um throughout that how we're navigating it can be really supportive and help you in the long run feel a lot better about your body, food, (laughs) all of the things too, and can be part of the healing process. And I know that probably sounds like something you wouldn't expect to hear me say. Um, But again, it's nuanced and it's, it's, it comes down to, in so many ways, the intention that you have around implementing this and also how radically open you are and honest you are about where your intention is coming from. And that is really hard to do. But when we can be radically honest about what our intentions are, and I don't care if you're radically open and say, yeah, weight loss is part of it. You live in this world, so that can be part of the story. But that also leads us down the road of saying, hey, so maybe this isn't available to me yet. I have a lot of work I need to do first before I can go into this. Yeah. And two more pieces I want to add as well is, you know, (laughs) I'm not like a cool mom. I mean, I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right? I always think of that Mean Girls quote whenever we talk about this because we're not like the other, you know, anti-diet practitioners that are basically like nutrition science doesn't matter, even if you have a chronic health condition, right? And that's kind of the extreme of it. But that's a lot of what you see on social media, right? But we're also not like most functional medicine practitioners who are just like, and this is the way that we're trained, right? So we understand is you have this condition, here's this elimination diet, and here's this supplement protocol. We don't subscribe to either of those things, right? But so what we try to do is to help our clients find symptom management with the least amount of restriction possible, right? Knowing that depending on the season of your life and your symptoms and everything else that's going on, we might have to pull a food out, right? I always tell my clients, like if you eat dairy and you're on the toilet all day, not the best choice for you right now, right? But it all comes down to choice. It is a choice. You can always have dairy, right? We, the first thing that we always do is we, and the difference between us and the functional medicine side of things is we're always working on the relationship with food first, right? And in conjunction to managing symptoms, right? And the other thing that I wanted to bring in here that is more on the functional medicine and chronic symptom management side of things is 
when we're looking at this chicken and egg situation, it can also come from the other way, right? If people who do start to have a lot of chronic health conditions, like a lot of GI stuff, maybe you had you traveled and you got some kind of parasite or bacterial infection, and all of a sudden you're not able to figure out what's going on. So you start researching and you go to, you know, traditional doctors and you go to functional medicine doctors and they give you, again, these elimination diets and supplements like candy. And then I get a lot of people who come to me and they can only eat like seven foods comfortably or, you know, not even comfortably at all without having really severe digestive symptoms. And there's a real fear around introducing different foods which looks like a disordered eating pattern, right? And even if it wasn't a disordered eating pattern in that it wasn't, you know, rooted in weight loss or anything when they came to this, you know, mentality, there's a very real fear around these foods, which can also contribute to your symptoms, right? So this all to say that this is a very nuanced conversation, and I know we always say this, but It is so incredibly important if you're dealing with this stuff to work with a practitioner. And that's not to say that we're not going to give you some tools and actionable things that you can do today. But what we are saying is even if you do the tools that we give you today, it would be so much more helpful for you to get a handle on things if you work with someone. And we, I know as Christina, this is the thing that's probably on the tip of your tongue of if you have ever had an eating disorder or severe disordered eating in the past, you need to be working with a practitioner if you have chronic symptoms as well. And someone that can help you look at all of the layers of the different diagnoses and different symptoms and your stress and your relationship with food and potentially, you know, the different trauma or things that in your past that are also connecting and contributing to these symptoms and these fears around foods and everything. Whenever, the in general, the more nuance there is, the more important it is to work with a practitioner because it's so hard to untangle all this stuff for yourself. And it's so much more helpful to have a practitioner to help you put all of these puzzle pieces together because it's impossible to see the whole board when it's yourself. Oh my gosh. And plus, because it's so easy to get, because I don't know, when... When my health was so unmanaged, it was, that's all I could think about was how do I manage these symptoms? How do I not feel the way that I'm feeling all the time? How do I do this? So it's hard to see the forest through the trees. And so I refer to this a lot of times as like an advanced recovery tool and advanced recovery kind of step to get into. Another thing that I wanted to briefly point out is there are other eating disorders other than just anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder that, that, excuse me, can highly relate to this avoidant restrictive food intake disorder can, can be pulled, like this thread can be pulled and it might not truly have anything to do with weight loss or shrinking your body. And it still could be that too. So I also think not only working with a, a dietitian or a nutritionist who has this type of mentality, who's going to be open to the and both. Peace. And there are people out there, just so you know, there are people out there, not just me and Dana, but there are people out there who do this, um, <clears throat> who are open to conversation and also a therapist who can talk to you about this too and understand more about where is this avoidance of these foods coming from? How do we work through that? How do we um, expand a little bit? Because like you said, sometimes it comes really innocently through going to various doctors and they tell you what to do and you do them. And you think, well, if I just do it right, sounds a lot like a diet, then all of these things will unravel and feel a lot better. And so that's why it's so important for you to work with someone to help you untangle that and understand 
what did that do to me? What did that do to my symptoms? What did that do to my stress, which impacts my symptoms? What did this do to building a hierarchy and morality around food that heavily impacts the way that I interact with food on a day-to-day basis? And what is the driving factor between me wanting to implement these things? If you're considering doing an elimination diet because you're feeling really bad right now, listen (laughs) to this episode (laughs) because you really need to understand what is the driving factor because it really could be, quite frankly, a thread that you can't unpull. And once you pull that thread, it's really, really difficult um, to, to put it back together and to tie that knot and to fix it so it doesn't unravel the whole sweater. And so for people who have unraveled, and I've been there, there is also a way to build a new sweater. I don't know where that analogy (laughs) came from, but we're just going to rock with it. I don't know. It's probably going to end up some poll quote on my Instagram that I'm going to be like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) What did I even say? But I think it's really important to think about it that way is what is the intention? Am am I being also radically honest with myself? (laughs) To be able to answer that question of what is this intention here and what is really driving this? Because the allure of removing foods when we have chronic symptoms is so unbelievably enticing and strong because there is so much... um, Health fear-mongering. Yeah, health fear-mongering and also like this holy grail nirvana at the end of it that you'll get once you get there. But what's not discussed is the mental load that puts on you and the stress that it puts on you from a mental health standpoint, uh, how incredibly isolating it is and the things that it does to you from that perspective where um, it's really important to understand like what's going to happen and how to understand that. And can I, do I really have all of the information that's available to me to really understand what's going to happen if I if I pull this thread or if I continue down this path for some people. As your clinicians, the thing that we are always going back to is we want you to have the highest quality of life, right? So the most amount of symptom management, right? So lessening your symptoms with the least amount of restriction possible, right? That's always what we're going back to. And so Even if you have heard or seen or tried something that's like, oh, you know, if I just eliminated these foods, like Christina was saying, and I just did this, you know, perfectly, this is promising all this symptom relief and everything. Okay, we can we can hold space for that. But what is not talked about enough, like Christina was mentioning, and I want to talk more about the impact on your symptoms that this has, is what about the stress of eliminating those foods. And this happens to people with just the thought of eliminating foods can be really triggering to them, right? Because if you're down to 7, 10, 15, whatever it is, whatever number of foods that you're down to, if it feels restrictive and you're like, I feel like I can't eat outside of my house, that's that's restrictive, right? And the stress that that puts on your body, especially if we're talking about gut symptoms here, The gut-brain connection is something that we frequently talk about on this podcast, right? The stress that originates in your mind goes straight down into your gut, right? Stress can cause your stomach acid to lower. It can cause you to have a lower output of digestive enzymes. It can cause your motility to slow down, causing constipation. It can cause your gut bacteria to be all out of balance. That's just from stress. That's not food 
or anything. Food can be a contributing factor to that, but if food is not the origin of the problem, we can't look to food for the solution to everything, like functional medicine does most of the time, right? So when we're thinking about that piece, what is the point of diminishing returns? When we're cutting out all these foods, are you actually feeling symptom relief because you're reacting to those foods? Or in the beginning of this elimination diet process, are you feeling relief because you finally feel like you have a solution and you have control over what's going into your body? And that relief that this is eliminating that stress temporarily is making your symptoms better, right? Because that's that's not actually the removal of the foods themselves that's creating a lesser symptom environment. That's the anxiety that's coming down, right? So what we do as practitioners is when we're working through these kinds of very, you know, clinical situations and stuff is trying to help you remove the fear and the stress around certain foods. And sometimes, like if someone, again, we're going back to the, you know, someone who's not eating a very diverse list of foods example, we try to start introducing foods that are the least potentially problematic for that person. So this doesn't mean that if you, for example, if one of your number one fear foods is Oreos that we frequently use as an example in this podcast, and you have a lot of gut issues, I'm not going to tell you to go eat a sleeve of Oreos because it's probably not going to feel great. Whether it's the stress or it's the actual food, I can pretty much guarantee you not going to feel awesome, right? So what we're going to try and do is start to increase the variety of your foods Again, from the least potentially problematic foods possible. And what we do as clinicians is we take into account the evidence-based practice. We take into account the research, right? And we start to see, okay, given this person's symptoms, what are some foods that we can tell are most likely going to go okay from for them? Either from an anxiety standpoint, a gut standpoint, you know, a whatever it is. And the nice thing about this is this takes the thought process of this equation out from you. You're handing it off to somebody else, right? So that stress aspect, you're handing it off to someone. Okay, let them tell me what I can add in, right? If you're having a lot of anxiety around adding in any food, then we have to go back to the intention, right? And see, am I having a lot of stress around this because I'm afraid it's going to make me gain weight? Am I afraid it's going to make me have symptoms? Am I afraid that I'm going to be on the toilet all day and I'm not going to be able to work or take calls or take care of my kids? Those are three very different things, very right? Real. So we want to, and they're, they're all valid, right? Yeah. Like we're not here to say that these fears are not valid because we're never here to say that your experience is not valid, right? Like your experience, is always valid and so you this is an invitation as Christina likes to say (laughs) to kind of go in and think about with a mindset of curiosity rather than judgment of what comes up when I'm thinking of introducing foods you know what are the biggest fears or you know if you are considering doing some kind of elimination whether it's a protocol or taking out experimenting with taking out certain foods What's the intention behind there? You know, what is your goal? What is the motivation with taking that food out? And if any part of your brain is like, well, I'll take this food out and maybe it'll improve my symptoms, but it would be great if I lost some weight as well. Ding, ding, ding. That's a little bell that we want to pay attention to. Yeah, I think also too, something else that when you were talking about kind of expanding the diet that's highly restrictive originally, maybe it's from protocol use or whatever it is, um, but also at the same time, part of that process is by using, Dana and I love to use the term micro exposures, where you 
micro micro expose yourself to some of those foods that were on your fear foods list originally or they weren't even on your fear foods list they were just on a list of foods that you were told were bad for you to eat because of whatever health condition you were on and, you, and there's no flexibility there and that's really what this is about it's about are we approaching this from a place of restriction meaning there is no flexibility here right if we're going back to our definition of of being non-restrictive is having a broad-based, nutrient-dense diet where all foods have the opportunity to fit. If we're not allowing foods to have the opportunity to fit, then we are approaching this from a restrictive standpoint. End point, period. I don't care what kind of chronic illness you have. That doesn't mean that being, being sometimes that having restrictive type of approach to some foods might not be appropriate. And I think that's what we're kind of talking about here a lot. But thinking about it from that perspective of, am I approaching this from a place of restriction? Am I even open to the idea to increasing these foods or having them available? And if I'm not, why? Why am I so stressed out about it? Why am I feeling that this isn't good? Do I have a hierarchy on food? Do I feel like certain foods are better or morally better than others or I'm better when I'm doing certain things? Is there a piece that's around weight loss or shrinking my body or I'm scared that I'll increase my weight if I do this or do that? Or is there a level of what if I um, <clears throat> if I increase this food or have this food available and then I have my symptoms come back or I have, I get really sick or whatever it is, or I feel ill. How do I then, how do I then manage that? All of those are coming from a place of there's restriction there, right? Is restriction appropriate? Maybe, most likely not in some cases. So I think that's another thing to kind of think about when you're, when you're playing around with that and talking to your practitioner about, okay, these are the foods that I'm cool with eating because I've been told and this is the ones where I feel like I have things under control. Okay, what does it mean to have something under control for you? That's another question to be asking. What does it mean to have something under control? Or am I approaching this from an abundance mindset? of I have more energy, more freedom, more ability to do stuff, more things. Um, I'm not sick. I'm not in and out of the hospital in some cases. I'm not doing these types of things. I have um, a major gain in symptom relief and I have more freedom as a result of that. That might be something to attach, to attach onto. I know that way from celiac disease, giving up gluten provided that for me for sure. So thinking about it from that driving factor of what is the driving factor here and how am I approaching this list of foods or the foods that might be available to me? And am I letting all foods have the opportunity fit or am I too stuck on I have this condition. I've been told this condition cannot eat these foods. Therefore, I'm not even open to including them. If that's the case, we have work to do. And so I think that's really, really important to consider when you're when you're diving into this. And this is why it's so important to have a team of practitioners, if available, to help you kind of navigate how inherently complicated and nuanced this is because again that radical honesty about the intention behind it is really really hard to see clearly when we're going through a lot of health conditions and sometimes and let's be really honest here sometimes we're just told we have a health condition but we have no symptoms but we want to manage it 
through food, what managing it means, healing it means, whatever it is, then that is also a really great entry point into why am I now so obsessed with all these foods? What am I gaining from this? Did I have any symptoms before or is this just part of my constitution and things are okay and it's not that big of a deal? I think those are things to really start to evaluate and think about as well. And again, that comes back to what is my driving factor here? Am I using my chronic health symptoms or chronic or chronic health diagnosis as a scapegoat to not expand your diet? And that might not be a question you want to answer, but I, I know in the past, if I had been honest with myself, the answer was a resounding, uh, yeah, I'm totally doing that. So I just want you to know when listening to this, there's probably nothing on here that we've talked about that we haven't done ourselves. Been there, done that. <laughs> been there, done that. And we're on the other side and we're telling you that there's another way and that there's a way to get out of it if you want to get out of it. But I think really answering that question, am I using a chronic health symptom or a chronic health diagnosis as a scapegoat to not expand my diet? Talk about radical honesty with your intention here. Yeah. And this this looks like, you know, if a potential yes to this question, right? Like, yes, I am using my chronic health condition as a scapegoat not to expand my diet. That looks like I can't eat that because I have this health condition, even if you don't truly know that that food affects you, right? Like, for example, when way back when I first got diagnosed with celiac disease, I was like, ooh, celiac is an autoimmune disease. I'm going to do the autoimmune protocol, right? This is super common. (laughs) So yeah, Christina and I both did the same thing here. (laughs) Twins before we even knew each other. But we see this a lot because the autoimmune paleo protocol is recommended for all autoimmune disease, even though every autoimmune disease is very different, right? But what we have to think about these protocols in general is, yes, a lot of them are evidence-based, and yes, a lot of people will see symptom relief doing them, but they're so general because they have to apply to a very broad population. It's not speaking to you in general. So what we like to do is to determine, like, is something that is inherently restrictive, for example, an autoimmune protocol, a gluten-free diet, a vegan or vegetarian diet, right? We haven't even gone there yet. But how do we know if this could be appropriate or applicable to my life, right? And to use this, you know, celiac with the autoimmune protocol, for example, when I did this, and I know Christina had the same result, is like you cut out so many different things. But what I realized is not a single one of those actually mattered except for the gluten piece, right? When I first got diagnosed with celiac, I was also very lactose intolerant. So at the time, taking out dairy was helpful for me. But the stress and anxiety that I experienced with cutting out nightshades and potatoes and soy and like every single other thing under the sun that you have to cut out with the autoimmune protocol, you don't, most people don't need to do that for celiac, right? With a different autoimmune condition, for example, like a lot of different skin conditions, people will see relief with removing certain foods. But it's very different depending on the person, the season you're at in life, your relationship with food, your dieting history, your genetics, right? Your symptoms, like all of these different things. And this is why we say it's really important to think about 
Are you using your chronic health symptom as a scapegoat not to expand your diet because you want to keep restricting in order to maintain your weight or to continue losing weight when your main driving factor is not actually symptom relief, right? So that's something to think about, right? Something else to think about in and another way to think about this is when you're thinking about eliminating a food or doing a protocol or something like that, is this and the way that it makes me feel Is this truly honoring my body and its desires and needs and wants, or am I somehow punishing it, right? What that really, the undercurrent of what that says to me is, is taking these foods out truly making me feel better and truly making me feel like I have more freedom and a higher quality of life because I have less symptoms and I don't have to think about food as much, or do I think that I don't deserve to be eating these foods because I still think that I should be losing weight? Right. In like in addition to that too, I think another thing also to to me is a huge red flag when deciding how restrictive of a protocol you're going to take. Um, especially with autoimmune protocol, it's so incredibly restrictive. And I handed out way more than I would have ever, like in retrospect, ever ever should have. Um one of the things that I think is a huge thing to, to kind of help you with your intention is do you feel more aligned with doing something that is more restrictive and do you get uncomfortable once with something that's adding something in? And to me, if you get even slightly uncomfortable at the idea of adding something in, oh man, there's so much more work that can be done on the, on the, relationship piece with food too and also the deeper understanding of like Dana was saying is this actually medically relevant for me and my condition because that is what's so confusing because you go on these blogs you hear these things or you work with a practitioner like me and Dana were years ago integratively trained where we were told oh this is what's going on this is what you remove these are the supplements here's where you go blah 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 da, 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 all the things and we're not we were not trained in the nuance of how do we handle this from the after effects? And that's one of the things that I think is so important is the add-in approach. Why am I so attached to and really like the idea of removing? Because I'm used to it. I'm used to removing stuff. I'm used to being restrictive. I'm used to dieting. I'm used to doing this. I'm used to saying, these are the things that I'm allowed to do. These are the things I'm not allowed to do. And when we approach it from an add-in perspective and you think about it from that perspective of, oh, I'm not removing anything, I'm adding stuff in, and that makes you uncomfortable. It's because of that history with dieting and body body like size maintenance or, or shrinking or whatever it is that you have used in the past to kind of help you feel better. Um, because if we were honestly, if you were truly interested in gaining symptom relief and having more freedom, an add-in approach would feel fucking awesome. (laughs) Right? So I think that question alone is, am I comfortable with an add-in approach? How do I feel when I think about adding something in versus how do I feel if if I have a call with Dana or Christina and they say, um, oh, we're going to remove all these things. Does that make me feel really happy? Or my question is, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to manage it if I don't remove something? That really shows me, honestly, that we're not looking to honor our body. And it shows a lot of where we have come from, right? Because 
taking it back to our, you know, our previous episode, which of course will be linked in the show notes if you didn't listen to it yet, is when we have a problem, right, a diagnosis, right, which I'm not saying a diagnosis is a problem, but let's talk about things that we qualify as problems, right? So like if you have some kind of diagnosis, if you got some kind of symptoms, you know, something's off, something's wrong, we tend to want to fix it, right? And if other people can't fix it, if you've gone to traditional medicine, if you've gone to functional medicine, and it's not working, we start to do our own research, right? Which makes sense. This is a lot of the ways that we end up where we are with eliminating all of these foods because we read all the blogs and we read a lot of the research. And most of the people that come to us know so much about nutrition. You don't need any more nutrition information. If anything, you need to unlearn some of the rules and the things that we have up until this point because the stress of that is contributing to your symptoms, right? So we just want to acknowledge that like this uh, impulse to try and fix something is we are told to restrict in order to fix, right? Restriction is the solution. So if you've felt like, oh, how am I going to do this if we're not restricting? Of course you feel that way. That's what we've been told. You know, if you've been any kind of involved with functional medicine or integrative nutrition or anything like that, you've probably heard, oh, you have this problem, restrict in order to fix it, right? And we want to acknowledge that there's a lot of research around there or like in that area that shows, for example, with celiac disease and Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, right? There's a lot of research around like gluten and Hashimoto's, right? We're not saying that that research isn't relevant. We're just saying that might not be appropriate for you right now. So that leads us to the next point of like, if you are receiving advice that is medically relevant to you. You have Hashimoto's, you have, you know, something, something. And a practitioner brings you this research that says you have this condition and this research shows that you should be cutting out this food for symptom relief. We have to take a step back and see, okay, is is this the best thing for me right now, right? What is my history with body image, relationship with food, eating disorders, disordered eating? How many foods am I eating right now? Can I afford to cut something else out? How much of your stress response is activated by even the thought of cutting something else out, right? And one way that you can get some evaluation on this is by doing some testing, right? Get the data. Not talking about an elimination diet here, right? Which you can get data from elimination diets, right? But we're not handing them out like candy like other practitioners, right? What we're advocating for is get some blood testing done. Get some stool testing done, right? The number one test that I use in my practice, stool testing, right? Get some Dutch testing done, which is hormone saliva panel. Get some minerals testing done. Get some organic acids testing done. If you don't know what any of these are, (laughs) it's totally fine. They're just functional medicine tests that give you more information about what's actually going on in your body, right? So for example, there's a marker on the stool testing that Christina and I use, which looks at how well is your body doing with gluten, right? If you think you need to remove gluten and we look at that test and that marker is not high, we don't need to remove that because your body is doing fine with it, right? So then the question becomes, how do you feel about me telling you that you could introduce gluten? If your number one response is fear, let's work on that, right? But here's the thing is testing can't tell you everything especially with food sensitivity testing, I see this all the time, right? And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but this stuff can be wildly inaccurate. Like 
many of my clients have gotten come to me having already done food sensitivity testing and they come back with like 36 to 40 foods and they're like my person told me to eliminate all of this I'm like no we're not going to do that because you won't be eating anything but water and lettuce that's not happening (laughs) not appropriate the other thing that can happen is sometimes you'll get a false what could be interpreted as a false negative on these tests because if you remove a food for a really long time because you know it gives you disaster pants for example it might not show up on there because it's not in your system at all so then you might be like oh well it's okay for me to eat this food but I'm afraid to eat it because I don't want to have disaster pants as happened the last six times I tried that food right that can feel very confusing which again takes us back to If you work with someone who's trained in this, it can help you feel less stressed because you're taking some of the burden off of your plate. Trying to constantly figure out what's wrong with you, where your symptoms are coming from, and what you should do about it is exhausting and can contribute to your symptoms because that stress response is further contributing to your symptoms. Another thing to also consider here too, in addition to what Dana was just saying, is also like... Thinking about it from the perspective of, am I letting my body tell the story and what story is my body trying to tell me? So when we get the testing done, if we're doing, you know, I call it, let's get under the hood. Let's let the body tell us the story. And the data there can be really, really helpful. But one of the things to kind of think about too is what is the origin of what the data is telling me too? Is the data coming from the body or is the data coming from my anxiety about something? or my stress that I'm having currently? What is the body telling me that's relevant here? And how does that help inform how I'm going to move forward from this point on? And that's another really important thing to kind of distinguish between. Some data is going to give you like, you know, as I I mentioned, like getting under the hood, the stool testing, organic acid testing, the mineral testing, the Dutch testing, all those different types of really wonderful, informative data can give you a really great snapshot about what is going on right now in my body and give you that under the hood data. And that's why whenever I'm working with someone who has a history of eating disorders, an active eating disorder or disordered eating patterns or anywhere on that spectrum, we have a podcast about the spectrum of disordered eating to eating disorders too, is anywhere that's on there, we have to approach this from the perspective of even if the data is telling me this, now again, if someone if someone comes to me and the data, the body's data is saying, you have celiac disease. I want that data before I tell that person that we need to go down that road because otherwise, even if it's medically relevant for you, it doesn't mean that it's medically or mentally safe for you to do. Because a lot of times what we'll see often is if you have a disordered eating pattern or an eating disorder, or anything like that, and we start talking about elimination, inherently, that restrictive diet cycle comes in because we know it, we love it, we do it, and we can't help but fall into it unless we've done the heavy mental load and lifting of undoing all of that first. Because what ends up happening is you end up binging on this food that is medically relevant for you not to be eating or it's really messing you up. And so we have to untangle all of that, get the data, understand where is this coming from? Do I really need to do this? And how can I approach this in a way that's not going to trigger my inherent restrictive tendencies 
or my inherent binge-like tendencies? How do I then manage that? How do I then not manage the fact that I now have this information that gluten is not good for me, medically not good for me? How do I then manage that and not have a bulimia relapse if I eat it because I have been triggered into an entire um, restrictive mindset play out and how it's all kind of unfolding. So that's why it's so important when we go into any kind of elimination type of protocol or any type of elimination type of thing that might be medically relevant is really understanding, is this medically relevant? What kind of data can I get? What is the origin of the data? Is the data really telling me what I need to know in order to navigate this? And three, is it safe for me right now? At this point in my life, is it safe for me? The answer might be no. (laughs) The answer might be no, and that's okay. We can work on how can I make it safe for me so that I can feel that symptom relief, so I can have more freedom, so I can have a nutrient-dense, broad-based diet where every food has the opportunity to fit. How do I get to that place where I'm having the most symptom relief with the least amount of restriction possible? And that really comes down to taking the steps of untangling all of those things that we have, getting the data to understand what is actually medically relevant for me, and then approaching it from that perspective. And all the other stuff is really understanding how do I untangle this shit that's happened as a result of these years of, of thinking that something's bad for me. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no marker on any of these tests that's like, here is the answer of your relationship with food. And yes, this is appropriate for you. Or no, it's not. Like that's, obviously, that's not something that uh, we could really measure on that type of test, right? But the nice thing is, if you have the resources to get more than one of these types of tests, right? For example, first of all, I would always recommend, like if you have not been to an annual physical in a long time, go and get a full workup for blood work, right? You can get so many answers about what is going on in your body just from blood work if you match the results to your symptoms, right? Always matching those two together. And if you can do that and match those results to something else like hormone testing or stool testing or something, that can give us a more comprehensive picture because we can see, oh, stress depletes these minerals and creates, you know, these kinds of things and imbalances and other things in the body. Under eating patterns, we can see in your blood work, we can see in your stool testing, right? That gives us more answers about the stool testing itself of, okay, now I understand more of where these markers are coming from and doing a full health history workup, right? But so to take it all back to the beginning, right? You can find a lot of symptom relief with chronic health conditions, even without eliminating a lot of different foods, right? If you've got celiac, if you know that you have disaster pants when you eat a certain food, that restriction is probably appropriate for you, right? But that doesn't mean that we get to skip out on working on the mental health and the emotional health piece of your relationship with that food and how it may have triggered you in the past and everything like that, right? So we need to do the relationship with food piece first and understanding how stress around foods and stress in general can trigger these GI symptoms and trigger your other symptoms as well and just you know give ourselves permission to have more of an understanding of 
where your symptoms are coming from and what we can do about it from a non-restrictive approach. And we're never going to say, you know, to anyone who does have a chronic health condition out there that they have found needs to be managed by eliminating tomatoes or something like that. We're not telling you that you right now should go eat some tomatoes, right? <laughs> We're saying it's always good to reevaluate your relationship with that food and think about, well, what does it make me feel like with even the thought of expanding my current protocol, right? It's always worth going back to that because again, like Christina said, we're always going for higher quality of life, least amount of restriction with the most amount of symptom relief. If you have questions, reach out. Again, there's so, so much nuance in this conversation, right? Like this is kind of a intro to, we could take this conversation in hundreds of different directions, right? With specific health conditions or with specific case studies or anything like that, right? So if you want us to do more episodes on a specific health condition or anything like that, throw the questions our way, right? Hello at wholeheartedeating.com. It's the easiest way to get in contact with us or Instagram. Yeah, or if you're having a hard time visualizing what this could look like, tell us. Say, I'm having a hard time. I get it. I'm following you. I want to, but it's scary to me and I don't understand. I can't visualize what this could look like. Um, We'd be happy to share, like Dana mentioned, like a case study type thing of like, this is how we did this for this person. This is the data that we got. This is the information that we got. This is how we put the puzzle pieces together because sometimes it's not about something that needs to be eliminated. Sometimes it's actually about a nutrient deficiency that needs to be added to support an entire function. And so I think that's some of the things that gets missed sometimes when we jump to elimination. So this entire podcast is about, again, an invitation, because always, but an invitation for you to think about how could I approach what's going on with a more add-in approach rather than a restrictive approach. And if it's scary to me to think about an add-in approach, I have some evaluations to do. And we encourage you to work with someone. Thanks, guys. This is complicated. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's not- if you're like what do I do now yeah that makes sense <laughs> my brain is exploding <laughs> don't worry um again like we could go on for this in like probably like 30 different episodes but we're here for you we think we're thinking about you and know that we've been here we've been in this exact messy messy place and somehow clawed our ways out of it so we can do the same we can help you guys get through this too and so please send us your questions Peace. <laughs> I'll do a weird, weird. recap. We're yeah, we're all fired up today. We are fired up today. It's not about this topic, Well, we do get pretty fired up about this topic, but we're real, real fired up earlier today. Hey, friends, it's Dana, and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com, and we'll see you again here next week.